welcome to Coffee with Conservationists, the podcast where I sit down with conservationists, ecologists and the occasional wildlife filmmaker or climate activist to talk to them about their work in wildlife conservation, human and wildlife coexistence, community projects and the climate justice movement. So if you've been listening from the start, you'll know all about the Coffee Connection. But if you don't, please head over to our Instagram page at Coffee with Conservationists, as there's a post over there explaining it all in detail. So today we've got another coffee from Tamp Culture, but for those of you who didn't listen to episode 2, at the end of this episode I will be talking about them, who they are and how you can support them. This week I sat down with Drew Hamilton. Drew is a bear guide and wildlife photographer and it's fair to say he loves bears having spent many years up close and personal with brown bears, black bears and polar bears across both his native Alaska and Canada, including six seasons living in the famed McNeil River State Game Sanctuary and Refuge, which is home to the largest congregation of brown bears on the planet. Hi Drew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, we'll start it off by getting to know you a bit. Could you tell us kind of a bit about yourself and how you first got interested in wildlife and conservation? Right on, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know it's a little tricky to coordinate uh, across the globe, but the technologies definitely make it easier. I'm, uh, I'm coming to you from Anchorage, Alaska right now. Uh, I live in Alaska. I've been here for uh, 20 years, and I moved back up to the late 90s. And I lead wildlife tours, taking people out into the wilderness to see bears, mostly bears, uh, but bears, wolves, anything that uh, <laughs> that occupies that wilderness. And I first got started in this business when I came back to Alaska. It was not something that I was, I, I didn't set out to get into this business. I didn't uh, have a particular calling. It was just something where when I came back up, I didn't really have any direction, and I got a job at a fishing lodge, and they sent me out to a remote bear viewing camp, and I, I basically fell in love with the wilderness at that point. And the rest of the things that have gotten me where I am today basically go back to just having being in wild places and having wild experiences be my overarching goal, and then any opportunities that came up, I put them through that lens, and if it passed muster, I said yes. And so I do brown bear tours in Alaska, I do aurora tours, um, I do polar bear tours in Canada. In the spring, I'll go down to Mexico to teach people how to photograph the monarch butterfly migration. So it's it's really opened doors and gotten me under that overarching what gets me to these wild places. Um, it's turned into quite a quite a lifestyle. Um, so, the, so the reason I kind of know about you and your work that you do is through the Stop Pebble Mine campaign. Um, could you elaborate on that? What is the Pebble Mine and why is it important that we stop it? Well, so it's kind of been a long time coming. And while I was busy trying to go out and have as many experiences as possible um, that were, you know, important to me to go out and be able to, to continue and to share these with other people coming in, both for my, my livelihood and for just sharing the natural world with people that they might not otherwise see, is is a very, very powerful 
force. And the more you get into some of these wild places and you start exploring the threats, um, it didn't, it's not just a wild place still by accident. There have been protections put in place to keep these places wild or to keep these places safe. And what really came to light was that there are always forces that are working to end the protections for these places or to threaten these places in order to line their own pockets. And while brown bears are probably my <laughs> my first love, you know, that's I live here in Alaska. It's all it's my hometown. It's my backyard that I'm going out to explore. Um, it came to well, the, the Pebble fight's really been going on for 20 years, and in a lot of ways, up until recently, it's been kind of this theoretical mine over across the mountains from where we we work with the bears and a lot of the protected areas. Um, it is the largest potential copper deposit or copper mine in the world. And its location happens to be right at the headwaters of the Bristol Bay sockeye salmon fishery. And so, you know, for for people that don't live in Alaska or don't have access to the, the wilderness, it's, it's, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around Bristol Bay or what a sockeye run even means. But this is, this is like last year they had 57 million salmon return wow. back to Bristol Bay. And it's, it's unique in the world um, because it's the last. You know, you look, at, you look at the historical fish runs up and down the, the West Coast for, for Pacific salmon, and you look at the Sacramento River. You look at, you know, all the rivers basically from, you know, Oregon on up through British Columbia around, and Bristol Bay is the last remaining just epic salmon run on Earth. And the mine would go right at the headwaters of this this fishery. Now, salmon, we, we have to do a little ecology lesson here and what the salmon mean to Alaska. And they are the conduit between the nutrient-rich uh, North Pacific and the terrestrial ecosystem. So these sam- salmon are spawned in the streams, they hatch, They'll spend a year or two hanging out in the fresh water before they go out into the salt water. And think about the North Pacific, particularly in the summertime. It's a lot of light, you know, near 24 hours of daylight, a lot of photosynthesis going on, a lot of energy. It's a very rich system. And so the salmon will go out into this rich system and they will gather up energy, they will gather up nutrients, and then they will transport it back up into the terrestrial ecosystem to the stream, very likely to the stream where they themselves were spawned, where they spawn and die. So they they just get one shot at it, basically. And through that system, they feed the terrestrial ecosystem. You can basically take a sample from any plant on the Alaska Peninsula or in most of Alaska, frankly, and you can trace the nitrogen in that plant back to marine-derived nutrients, nitrogen, from the salmon. Like, it is an important... And every predator, every step along the way plays an important piece in that cycle. Uh, The bears, for example. (laughs) The bears, because we're talking about bears. So... 
the the bears are basically nature's can opener. These 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 salmon will come upstream. The bears eat them. They start spreading the the, the nutrients around through their digestive systems. Um, they also will rip open the salmon's skin, and then anything that's left over now is accessible to birds and insects and and things that wouldn't normally have access to it until after the bears were able to get through that tough tough salmon skin. So basically it boils down to if you put this mine here that threatens this fishery you are threatening the entire ecosystem of southwest alaska because everything comes back to the salmon ecologically uh economically this is a system that is already producing just as is through our commercial fisheries and our subsistence fisheries it's already generating uh, 14,000 jobs a year, about a billion and a half dollars. Uh, like it's just by leaving it alone and not messing it up, um, it's already generating dollars and cents. And then on top of that, you you look at the people who have lived in this area for tens of thousands of years, and it has been the provider. The salmon are, have always been the provider for for these people. Uh, and so like you're threatening traditional lifestyles, you're threatening stable economic, sustainable practices, you're threatening, um, ecosystems, you're threatening, and you know, I just have to put in a plug for the, the bear viewing industry. You know, we're not generating jobs or income on the, on the Bristol Bay salmon fishery scale, but you know, for a homegrown industry taking people out to see bears out of Homer, Alaska, or Kenai, Alaska, or Anchorage, you know, South Central Alaska, uh, we generate about forty million dollars a year and five hundred jobs. And again, this is from this intact ecosystem. So this mine would, go, if if it goes in, would be a threat to all of the things that make Alaska what it is today. Wow, so that's a roundabout way, but I hope we got there. No, definitely. It's a very sort of big picture issue. I mean, to be honest, when we're talking about stuff here where I am in the UK, we're a very nature depleted country. We like our biodiversity, our net biodiversity is really low and so we just don't see um the like any big creatures in the numbers that you talk about when you're describing Alaska. So, like, if you say to me, yeah, millions and millions of salmon, that's... I can't even picture that. Most uh, of my listeners in the UK wouldn't be able to imagine that um, because it's just... Yeah, it's just such a a huge connection to so many industries and to so many other species. Yes. Well, you, you do have a case study for this, and you look at the, the Atlantic salmon... Um, and it's, it's importance in history. And once it was gone, the, the scale that it, it once existed, look at the, you know, you get people waxed and stuff, oh, this is what it used to be like. This is what it used to be like and how great it was. And here we have an opportunity to keep something the way it was, something that is already working, something that is already providing. And just by letting it be, it will keep going. And so you look at all these salmon runs around the world, whatever species you're talking about, and in a lot of ways it's been kind of death by 10,000 paper cuts. You know, you cut the riparian zone on this creek or you 
um, you put a shipyard here or this, that. And the salmon might not disappear in mass, but it gets diminished every time. And here, Pebble Mine wouldn't necessarily be a paper cut. It would be a <laughs> giant open pit mine full of um, toxic sulfuric acid. Because um, that's something we haven't even discussed yet. You know, on top of all this, it is a, you know, when Pebble says they, oh, in their most recent version, they say, oh, it's a much smaller mine. It's If you were to take the, the footprint of the mine that they're angling towards and you look at it in comparison to other mines in Alaska, and we're, we're a big mining state. We've got lots of mines. But if you were to take all the existing mines in Alaska and put them in one place, the Pebble Mine would be eight times larger than that. Wow. Like we're talking about a scale that frankly people can't <laughs> can't wrap their heads around. It's 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 such a scale and it's on top of that, it's a sulfide mine, basically. So the, the minerals that they're pulling out are, are copper, gold, and molybdenum. And but it just the nature of the area where they want to put it, the act of digging the hole produces uh, waste products, acidic waste products that basically have to be maintained in this wilderness area, you know, far from anything, forever, basically. And so, you know, they say, oh, we've got our safety plans in place. You know, our dam, our Taylor's dam that would hold all this toxic sludge back uh, has a, I don't even know the number, but it's some very small percentage or a chance for, for failure. But, yes, Look, it's a small number, but when you multiply that times infinity, like that has to be maintained forever. Mm. Anything times infinity, you're going—it's going to happen, basically. And do you? And how are we going to be paying for it? How are we going to be dealing with the aftermath after Northern Dynasty Minerals is long gone? Um, it's a—it's a kind of smash and grab on on this company's part like it's it's kind of appalling really yeah definitely sounds like something that people should be against because it's yeah it sounds horrific to to me and um sort of you mentioned the sort of impact on local communities um you, i believe you're the board president of the friends of mcneil river is that right yeah so one of the other areas that threatened by this is uh, well, it's it's part of a larger complex. But McNeil River is a a small parcel of state land that is protected, it's set aside for brown bears, and it's butted up right next to Katmai Park. And then there's a little gap where there's state land, and then in the north there's Lake Clark National Park. And okay. these three parcels of land protect basically the best bear habitat in the world. Salmon runs, there's a mountain range that runs in the middle, so, you know, bears that start on, say, the, the, the east side could start their spring there where they're grazing on sedge meadows and, and rich nutritional um, sedges that, that'll grow in the intertidal. And then they cross over the mountains and they can utilize the Bristol Bay stock fishery. So these bears and other animals will, will go back and forth across that peninsula to utilize the seasonal abundance of the Alaska Peninsula. And 
So what this mine proposes is, since it's in a remote area, they have to have all this infrastructure to get all the ore out and the people and things in. So they're proposing uh, roads and industrial complex and a power port, a power plant and a port right in the middle of the best bear habitat in the world. And so for, you know, it's one of those things like if, if the, the threat to the salmon, if the threat to the, the peoples of the area, uh, if the threat to the economy that already exists isn't enough, look at what it would do to the bears. Like in, and in the United States, really, this is the last piece of just genuine, untouched, untrammeled bear habitat in the world. And putting a, a road and this mining infrastructure right through the middle of it is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and no, I mean, it's fair to, definitely fair to say that it would be incredibly detrimental to, to the habitat. And I mean... With the the threats to the McNeil River and the surrounding sort of sanctuary and refuge, how much of an impact, obviously you mentioned this briefly at the beginning, but how much of an impact would this have on your all, all sort of industry as well and, and communities uh, that rely on wildlife for, for uh, their economy? Oh, it, w- it would be devastating. Anybody that's got any is deriving any income from leaving things how it are, how they are, or the natural world would be negatively impacted by this. Now, Pebble has said that, oh, we can coexist with salmon. Oh, we can coexist with bears. Oh, the bears are no big, big deal. But they have said in their environmental analysis that's going on right now uh, via the Army Corps of Engineers, which is a part of the U.S. military that is tasked with permitting projects like this, um, that they only have to study the parameters for what they have to study. And they say, oh, we only need to study the impacts to bears within three miles of the impacted areas. So we're talking about like once you start digging in, you realize how insufficient their analysis truly is. It's it's appalling that they would um, demonstrate that they are not committed to doing their due diligence. They're not committed to understanding what their actual impacts might be. That they are relying wholly on political corruption and political games to get this rammed through before the November election. I, just, I should bring up that this project was vetoed under the Obama administration at the request of tribes out in that area. The Environmental Protection Agency took a look and did extensive research on the watersheds and potential impacts that this might have and said basically that this mine and this fishery cannot coexist and vetoed it like shut it down so when trump took office shortly thereafter um the folks that are advocating for this mine had a meeting with his uh, some of his new cabinet members and basically they came out the next day and said not only is this project back on it's fast-tracked and we're going to cram it through and we're going to do it this is all in the name of efficiency so we're going to shorten public comment times. We're going to shorten the amount of time that 
um, the general public, that the tribes, that other government agencies have to comment on it. And they said, this is the route we want to do, and it was a route that was going to take take them right near the McNeil River State Game Sanctuary, right along the border of Katmai Park. They would threaten the fishery with their mining operations over on the Bristol Bay side. So everybody, the public, the tribes, the government agencies, all submitted their comments relating to this specific route. And so 90% of the way through that process, it was discovered through a uh, a document request that the lawyers requested some documents from them that they're legally obligated to provide then. And it was discovered that they changed their plan 90% of the way through this process. After all the public comment period, after all the government agencies have commented, after all the tribes who had been forced to do their comments in an abbreviated fashion due to this efficient time scale. And they, they changed it to this, this Northern route, which Frankly, nobody had time to comment on. If you're if you're a government agency and you're submitting comments in this abbreviated time, are you, you going to comment on the route they say they want, or are you going to comment on some route that they don't want, that they're not advocating for? So they did a a, a real switcheroo that, frankly, is just ridiculous. They basically swapped problems that everybody commented on for different problems on different route and said, oh, no, we're, we're still going to continue. Like, there's no more public comment allowed. There's no more uh, agency comments allowed. No more no more uh, tribal comments allowed. Uh, they said, oh, we've seen enough. We're just going to go ahead with it. So this permitting process is all going to come to a head this summer, basically. This uh, environmental analysis will probably come out as soon as either two weeks from now or into next month. It's a moving window. So this summer we're going to be going out, we're going to be creating content that people, to make people aware of the plight of the bears. And I realize most of your audience is probably in the UK. Um, yeah, so it's a little tricky here because we are dealing with US federal uh, bureaucracies here. Mm. But it's something that people who want to come to Alaska need to be aware of that this is going on. And there are ways that um, that folks that aren't in the U.S. can can support the cause, whether either through donating to uh, friendsofmcneilriver.org or uh, defendbristolbay.com or just having conversations, posting on social media, keeping the dialogue going around the globe about problems that this would cause are just as important as being here in person to contact and for folks in the U.S., we're, we're contacting our, our federal legislators. We're writing letters to senators. We're calling senators, um, people in the U.S. House of Representatives. And so it really is a, a team. It is a global effort, uh, and it will take all hands on to get this thing stopped. Yeah, as you said, my audience are mostly in the U.K., I'd say, at this sort of very beginner stage um but yeah it's great to hear what you can do and what you are doing uh both internationally and locally as well so yeah i'm glad you've mentioned the trump administration and because i, I kind of wanted to touch briefly on your views of sort of their not just in alaska but since taking office so what's that four years ago now um what sort of a impact i mean it's 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 been a negative impact i know um we from the 
UK have kind of been watching in a bit of despair, really, about how he's handled most things. Um, but what what sort of an impact has the Trump administration had on general wildlife and conservation efforts in the United States? Well, I guess I should preface it by saying I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, I'm an independent voter. I did not vote for Donald Trump. Um, but looking at the Trump administration's track record on, well, just for the... <laughs> the sake of brevity will focus on on environmental issues it has been wholeheartedly and passionately detrimental to the environment in the united states whether you're looking at rollbacks on on environmental protection agency standards whether it is um privatizing public lands which it seems like the controversies are so fast and furious that we've We've already moved on from the, the privatization of public lands that happened just a couple of years ago. Like it, it, it's just everything is so one thing is more horrific than the next, and it is basically the largest giveaway of our environmental resources to commercial interests um, that we've witnessed in modern times, and it's happening under the. I don't know, the, what do you, whatever you want to call it, the circus, the show, the, you know, you can't focus on things long enough because there's always something else popping up kind of thing. And it really, for a conservationist in this day and time in the United States, you don't know what to focus on because there are so many assaults on our environment going on simultaneously. And I just hope that, you know, we can stop as many of them as possible and that come November people will realize and they will vote and we can start the the healing process because it just feels like the whole situation is just this monumental step backwards from where we need to be going to be <laughs> surviving the future whatever the future might hold yeah and I mean I obviously can never imagine what it's like but we do get a fair amount of coverage uh, in, in the UK, it's safe to say. Yeah, it's just been quite an interesting four years for, for everyone. Well, there's been such a great, great support from photographers in the UK, um, you know, because they come to Alaska. They, you know, you don't have to be American to, to love coming to Alaska. Mm. Um, you know, a prominent UK photographer, uh, I don't know, do you follow Graham Purdy? Um, yeah, I've seen a bit of his work. Yeah, go on his Instagram and check out the images that he created last summer with us in Alaska. And he's got some great videos on there. Just like the videos that he's created and the imagery that he's created mm. is just so striking. And frankly, like he's got some of the best bear shots from last year on there. And so he's and as, going forward, he's going to be one of the folks in the UK that's that's going to be posting about this. And so he's definitely one to uh, keep an eye on. Nice, yeah, I'll uh, check his work out. I've been asking all my, or I say all my guests, the two that I've had so far, I've been asking them this question because currently we are all feeling the effects of the coronavirus situation, the COVID-19 pandemic. How has that sort of the whole global situation affected 
the campaign to stop the pebble mine because I guess there's a lot less safe options for you all to go and like physically protest and to sort of be active in a in a physical space. Yep, all that is gone. Yeah, <laughs> we've had to take our campaigns online, and so that's where you know folks sharing bear images on Instagram. We've got the Share Your Bears campaign. You can post your bear pictures, or if you go to friendsofmcneilriver.org, we've got a social media activism page that'll that'll allow you. It'll give you resources to to contribute or, or even run your own little online social media campaign. Uh, hashtags, watermarks, um, calls to action, what we can do to stop this project. And so this summer, we are going to be, since it's going to be very difficult for people to get to Alaska to go out and see bears, uh, starting next week, we're going to be flying out and creating content to bring the bears to you. We're going to be doing a series of short little films and still images and some fantastic um GoPro footage that we're going to be putting out there on the internet for people to uh, take a virtual trip to Alaska and see these bears that might be impacted by this huge environmental disaster just waiting to happen. So since you can't necessarily get here, we're going to bring them to you. So you, you can look you can follow them on Instagram. There'll be links all over there. Drew H.H., friendsofmcneilriver.org, defendbristolbay.com. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Yeah, that's really great to hear, actually, because I mean, a lot of the people I've spoken to recently and just friends and contacts I've got in the the wider conservation industry are really suffering, especially here in the UK. We're like kind of a lot of them are charities. A lot of them rely on face to face contact. And that's just they've had to adapt so quickly, pretty much overnight and create whole new campaigns. So it's great to hear that we'll still be able to do a lot and get involved uh, virtually. Before we finish, we're just going to do a little quick fire round. So first off, what's your favourite animal? Brown bear. Yeah, that was probably uh, probably an obvious <laughs> <laughs> obvious answer given what we spent the last uh, half an hour almost talking about. Where is a place you like to go and like connect with nature? Somewhere that you feel really at home in the wilderness? It's a little spot on the south side of Lake Clark National Park, and that's where I got my start in bears. Do you have a conservation hero? I don't know that I have just one, but I think the thing that is kind of a recent twist in all of this is all the people that have reached out. I mean, it's, it's people like you who are saying, hey, I've got a podcast, I've got a voice, how do we amplify this message? And whether it's a young photographer on Instagram who's sharing their bears, or whether it's somebody who's posting a, uh, a website where people can contact, it's, it's all the, the grassroots effort and people from all walks of life who have stepped up to say no like this is this is important to us and we're we're not gonna not gonna take it anymore no just just people who people who care last off how do you take your coffee you know (laughs) in wilderness situations you take coffee however it is given to you it might be instant but as long as it's caffeinated and hot 
it is just right. So I think we'll wrap it up there. But I mean, before we finish, I usually ask where can people sort of find you and all the projects you're involved with. But you kind of plugged that earlier, so I'll I'll just link them all down in the description. And uh, yeah, just to finish off, I want to say thanks so much for for coming on. Hopefully, I'll be able to get this out to some people, and and they'll be able to spread the word and and contribute as much as they can. Hey, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for reaching out, and uh, hopefully, we will inspire people to to uh, take action on this. Thanks again to Drew for taking the time to come on today. Links to all his platforms, his various projects, and the main links to the No Pebble Mine campaign will be in the description down below and on our Instagram page at Coffee with Conservationists. As I said at the beginning, you can also read all about the reasoning behind the name Coffee with Conservationists on our Instagram. But while talking to Drew, I had another really nice cup of coffee from Tamp Culture which is an independent coffee company based in my hometown of Reading. As a long-term drinker of their coffee, I'm a big fan of their commitment to sustainable, ethical coffee as they deal directly with the farmers and I'm always happy to promote their products. All the info on this particular coffee, which is a single-origin coffee from Ethiopia, will also be in the description. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, George Steedman-Jones, and this is the Coffee with Conservationists podcast. Thank you.